Hello, hello, my name is Kalyani Saxena, and you're listening to my podcast, Cognitive Dissident. Welcome back, everyone. I am sorry (laughs) that I didn't get that episode on the debates out. I really, truly, um, sometimes, sometimes, I put a little bit more on my plate than I can handle, and that week, the debates, second round of debates happened, I was finishing up my internship, moving out of D.C., taking two ridiculously sized bags on the Amtrak, and I just really did not have time to sit down and do the research for that episode, um, because I actually am just a small bean doing this on my own time. It's just me, honey. There's no team. There's no recorders. There's no researchers. It's just me, honey. Okay, so I don't have an episode on, on the second second round of debates, but if people feel like they still want to hear about that, I can do an episode. I just thought that people might have gotten their analysis elsewhere. So I am doing an episode today. It's not about American politics, surprisingly, um, but we are going to be talking about the conflict in Kashmir right now. And I want to do a little spiel on that because I know that this um, this season has been election-themed, American election-themed. Um, if you remember my very cool edited photo on a Photoshop, my promo image of the American flag. So that was the intention going into this season. But, you know, you can't really control the news cycle. And this story with Kashmir happened last week. And I feel like it's very important for um, people and young people specifically be educated about this, especially considering um, for me that I did an episode called Tension and Turmoil earlier this year, and I really, which examined a lot of the increased tensions between India, um, Kashmir, Pakistan, and um, India's new uh, ruling party, not ruling, but dominant party, the BJP which is a Hindu nationalist group, which I will get into in a minute. So I feel like that was really important for me for continuity's sake. And I think that this is a a topic that we really need to keep our eye on, especially considering, you know, at the end of that episode, Tension and Turmoil, one of my big takeaways was that we really do lose sight of international events when we're in America. Sometimes we're in this little bubble and I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a part of that. So yes, my season is still election themed, but we're doing a special episode. And also this is kind of tied to the Indian elections well, really tied to the Indian election. So technically, if we're going to be technical, I am still on brand. Also, I am recording this episode out in the outdoors of my house with some lovely birds tweeting. So if you hear um, a raccoon being quietly murdered, that is because I'm outside in nature. So that disclaimer is over. Okay, let's jump into it. So today's sources are Vox and the New York Times. They did a lot of really good reporting on it um, from my research. And I really think if you want to learn more about this topic, you should definitely check out those two news sources. Um, Vox has, a, I think, an article that said something titled something like The Kashmir Conflict Explained in Under 600 Words. And I really think that's helpful if you're feeling totally lost about this issue. But I'm going to do my best today to break it down for you. Also, one thing I was thinking about was ending every episode with... Um, a list of further reading or further sources or podcasts if you're interested in listening. Um, I'm not sure if people want me to do that, but let me know by messaging me or sending me a message in a bottle via the waves of the ocean about whether or not you'd like me to do that. Okay, so um, before I get started, for real started, I uh, wanted to say that I 
am going to do my best to break this down, but I think it's important to know that even though I'm an Indian, I don't have necessarily the most comprehensive knowledge of Indian history, and this is a very complicated issue that I'm trying to simplify into hopefully not a two-hour-long episode, but I really... um, don't know everything so if I do make a mistake please let me know and I will correct it and also keep in mind that this is an issue that is being simplified for not simplified but not every detail is being included for the purposes of this podcast okay um so I'm gonna begin the episode with a little bit of background context because I don't want to assume any prior knowledge I don't know if you've listened to my previous episode I don't even know if you know where India is because let's be real sometimes that is a problem in this country but I don't want to assume any prior knowledge, so I am going to give a little bit of background between in, um, about Kashmir and what's been going on. And you might have seen Kashmir across the news headlines in the past week or so, but you have no idea what's going on. So I want to give a little bit of context. Okay, so for those who don't know, India and Pakistan were once one country, India, and in 1947 the countries had partition after the British left, and um, which basically meant India was split into um, India and Pakistan, and there's a whole a whole bunch of stuff on there. Which, if people would like me to do an episode on partition, I'm down. But one of the things that happened was that when India and Pakistan, um, I guess, won their independence, even though you shouldn't have to win your independence um, from Britain in 1947, Kashmir, which is a very um, like fertile land and full of resources and just like a really beautiful and valuable part of um, the country, Kashmir actually wanted to remain a small independent state. And it is a majority Muslim region. Um, It's, I think, India's only Muslim majority region. And which means that it had, um, you know, some... issues... um, in terms of it became a valuable piece of land, not just because it was a valuable piece of land, but because it meant a lot to Pakistan as well. So um, after Kashmir um, originally said that they were going to remain a small independent state, militants from Pakistan after independence invaded the territory and that led Kashmir to try and um, seek protection from India in which they agreed to become a part of India, but only um, under article 370 which is the main topic of what's going on today so article 370 was kind of contract and it basically said that Kashmir is different from other Indian states they um, have their own um, laws about what can be imposed in um, Kashmir it only people from Kashmir can buy land it was um, it's treated differently than the rest of Indian states there was more autonomy so it was kind of like a we get to do our own thing but we'll be part of India and so of course India you know said yes and that how is how it's been since 1947 and um, there have been a that's you know a simplification India and Pakistan have fought a few um, wars over the area and there has been constant flaring up of tension people in Kashmir live in a constant state of um, elevated tension and crisis but uh, as of today most of Kashmir is administered by India and Pakistan controls a smaller slice of it according to um, one of the articles now this was the status quo for a long time 
until August 5th, 2019, when India's Home Minister Amit Shah said that in Parliament that the government was going to remove Article 370 of the Indian Constitution, which if you want a quick refresher about what I just said, Article 370 was what give, gave Kashmir their autonomy to kind of govern themselves and to um, remain a little different and separate from the rest of India. So India basically said on August 5th, that decades-old agreement, <laughs> that old thing, in the trash it goes. So they're basically revoking it, um, and that is proving to be a huge can of worms. So um, that Article 370 allowed Kashmir to kind of operate as its own region. It even had its own constitution and flag, and it could basically do everything except for foreign policy and defense, which... You know, those two things seem very difficult, so I'd be happy to let somebody else do that. But uh, whether Kashmiris are happy or not, that's a separate issue. But the point being, all of those privileges, all of that autonomy was gone, you know, on August 5th, 2019 is when it was announced. And then it was passed in Parliament the next day. So um, Kashmir is... um, You know, it's called Jammu and Kashmir. It's the state of Jammu and Kashmir. And um, it's part of this new move by the Indian government to revoke the autonomy is it's also going to be turned into a union territory, which basically means, essentially means, that India's central government now has much more control over the area. And they're also looking at whether or not they're going to split Jammu and Kashmir into two federal territories of Jammu and Kashmir. And then they'll get their own legislature, allegedly, supposedly. And um, Ladakh will be, which is another part, will be a, um, a separate area that won't get legislature. But one of the most important things that I really want to highlight about Article 370 is that the clause, the article basically prevented people who lived outside the state from buying property there. And um, this means that for a long time, for, since 1947, Kashmir was lived in, the property was owned by Kashmiris. That means they have a very specific local culture. It's a very tight community. It, this is, you know, their place. And for a long time, people who um, don't live inside the state couldn't buy property there. So uh, we actually talk, touch on that in um, the previous episode, if you want to listen to, not to plug my own episodes. So that was a very important part of the, of the article because it kept Kashmir separate. It kept Kashmir independent and autonomous in that, you know, you didn't have land developers coming in and buying property and lots of Hindus moving in. It kept it very much a, um, a majority Muslim area where they have their own community, their own culture. It was Kashmir and because of that article. However, now that that article has been revoked, that means that people can start, um, India's majority population, majority Hindu population, can start um, buying property and moving in and developing Kashmir, and it will essentially lose its, its character um, the way it has been for the last you know, 70 or so years. So that is the essence of what is happening. Now... Prime Minister Narendra Modi has given some justification because, you know, if you're going to revoke something that's been in, in place since 1947, you better hope that you have a good reason for doing so. So Modi, who apparently, according to my research, doesn't speak to the people that often, 
I was like, okay, Modi, I get it. You're a recluse. But he decided to speak to um, the nation after he did this, which, you know, he should. You can't just revoke an article like that and then be like, all right, bye, going on vacation, going on hiatus. (laughs) So Modi said, "Um, we have taken this decision as a family. A new era has begun. Article 370 was a hurdle for development of Kashmir. He said that it only gave... He gave only separatism, nepotism, and corruption to the people of Jammu and Kashmir. So let's break down what he's saying here because it, it isn't immediately transparent. He is implying in his message that by removing Article 370, India will become a more harmonious family, which <laughs> if you've ever been around any Indian family, you know there's no such thing as harmony, Okay. But he's saying that, you know, Kashmir is going to be integrated into India and everybody's going to be happier because it's going to be a more, um, it's going to be one country rather than one and then two. And he's also implying that the reason that Kashmir has had so many of these problems is because it has been separate and that now that it'll be integrated, a lot of those problems will go away. And... The nepotism that he's referring to, I think, I'm not entirely quite sure on this, but my guess is that he's referring to the the line of the article which refers to property only being able to be bought by people in Kashmir. So he's saying here that a more autonomous Kashmir has, sorry, a more autonomous Kashmir, the way it has been in the past has led to a great degree of separation between Kashmir and India and this separation has been detrimental not only to India but also to Kashmir. He argues that and his supporters also argue that this because they've been separate it has become less economically developed and there's more violence because it's been kept separate. So I don't know I don't know if I buy this but I'll get into that in a minute. Actually I do know I don't buy this but I'll get into why in a minute. But Um, a lot of people are actually very happy about what's going on, but that's because, sorry, I'll get into that later. I keep saying this because, you know, Kashmir is one of those, those issues and those topics where it's not really easy to do this podcast in a, in a linear sort of way because every issue connects to another issue. So one other thing that Modi said was that, um, you residents of Kashmir, don't worry, relax, you just chill out because you'll get the opportunity to elect your representative soon, that you're going to have representation, this isn't just going to be India dominating you. So he said, I want to tell the people of Jammu and Kashmir that your representatives will come from among you, which like, I don't know how to tell Modi this, but that's what representative means. But that was his promise. Whether it, he delivers on it, I'm not sure. And even in, um, in New York, the Indian Consul General is reporting or uh, giving the same rhetoric as Modi and his supporters, that this is for the good of Kashmir and it's purely administrative and it's just to deliver um, more economic prosperity. And um, his exact quote was, quote, improve good governance and deliver socioeconomic justice to the disadvantaged sections of the people in the state. So I don't particularly buy this line of reasoning, and neither do a lot of critics and analysts across the world. It's very clear, and I'll um, explain why, that this is another 
move on the part of the BJP to spread Hindu nationalism and change India from, you know, the somewhat secular country that it's been into a country in which Hinduism dominates every aspect of the country. So the reason why I'm quite skeptical about this is, first of all, if you're going to try and argue that this is purely administrative, you probably don't want to invade a region or send not invade a region but send in thousands of troops that that to me (laughs) that doesn't seem purely administrative and the idea that you're trying to improve the good governance of people without really talking to them about what the issues and the problems are in their state and just kind of imposing this upon you're reneging on an agreement that was made decades and decades and decades ago from the very formation of India as we know it today independent India this is how back this is how long back you know this this agreement goes and to renege on that it's not purely administrative it's not innocuous no matter how they try and present it this is a move that was calculated and is definitely going to go beyond just oh we're trying to govern you um you know it's don't worry about it. it's from the top no this is going to change the very structure and character of kashmir as we know it and another thing that rings false to me about that whole argument is yes Kashmir has these economic problems and I don't know the entire Indian history but you could absolutely absolutely make the argument that the reason one of the reasons that Kashmir has been in such turmoil is because it has been a continuous chess piece between India and Pakistan because people feel or India feels like they have ownership of Kashmir just as Pakistan feels they have ownership of Kashmir and because of that it's been a you know constant tug of war that bet- between those two and other interested parties Kashmir has been a little piece that's been tugged on and you know after decades and decades any piece that's been tugged on will have wear and tear so I hope you appreciated that metaphor because I came up with it on the spot you're welcome so all around Modi's justification rings pretty false to me but it's not just my spidey senses a lot of the analysis is backing me up so A little context on this. India's government right now is controlled by the Hindu nationalist party, Bharatiya Janata Party. I think I pronounced that right, but I'm not entirely sure. BJP, which is the acronym I've been using earlier and I will continue to use throughout the rest of the episode. So they actually just won a landslide election. They were first elected. His party was first elected in um, 2014. They had their term and then there was just another election and this was a very important election but surprisingly they won they didn't just win they won by a full landslide by a huge margin so um their party now is the dominant party in india which is a, a marked change from the past in which the congress party was the majority party so the bjp is a very specific type of party in that They are strong Hindu nationalists. And mimicking what I said earlier, they believe that Hindu faith and Hindu culture should be not just a cultural aspect of the country, but integral to its policies and any decisions it makes in the future. And it's important to note that while 80% of Indians do um, practice Hinduism, not everybody 
in India is a Hindu. And that, I know, can seem somewhat confusing because people seem to think of India as a monolith, but it's absolutely not. It's made of, of tons and tons of cultures, tons and tons of religions. And for the most part, India has presented itself as a secular country. And even in my time in India, when I was living there, I had already started to see the shift away from um, a secular country where everyone is free to practice their religion and their culture to a more Hindu dominant state. And a lot of Indians, however, do believe that that India should be a Hindu state, that India and Hinduism are synonymous. And because of that, they don't necessarily see anything wrong with what's going on in Kashmir, and they don't see anything wrong with the BJP and their nationalist agenda, which is why part of the reason that they were swept in on this landslide victory, because a lot of people do like this policy. They do believe that Hinduism should be a part of everything. It's the same way I think you're seeing the rise of nationalism across the world. Like, Maybe this is comparing apples to oranges, but I think, you know, there's a significant portion of people in America who believe that Christianity and faith should be a big part of our policy. Not just Christianity, but, you know, white nationalism is a rising movement. Nationalism is taking control across the world, and it's proving to be a powerful force in India, not in the way that white nationalism is, but in in the way that Hindu nationalism is, which is slightly different in character, but is analogous to white nationalism. If that made sense, I hope it made sense. Let me know. Okay, so it's also important to note that not every Hindu is a part of the BJP, but they do have overwhelming support as um, evidenced by their landslide victory. Narendra Modi is the head of the party. He is India's prime minister, and he has also been a Hindu nationalist, of course. You know, it'd be weird if you were the head of a Hindu nationalist party, but you're like, you know, guys, I just, I don't know how I feel about this Hindu nationalism thing. Let's take it down a notch. No, Modi is doing the opposite. Actually, under his tenure, um, there has been increased violence against Muslims. And, you know, I don't want to simplify this as as an issue that's new or um, has erupted from nowhere. There have been constant tensions between Hindus and Muslims in India. It is a long, 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 long history. Um, But this nationalist movement has been um, particularly strong since Modi's government has um, come into power. And not only has there been an uptick in violence, there has, um, he has not done anything about it. He has, Modi has not done anything about it, nor does he seem to want to. And it apparently hasn't affected his success because he has this landslide victory. So, Not only is he not being held accountable for this change in India's secularism where um, the culture of India is changing, but also that in some ways he's given implicit approval that it's okay to um, commit violence against Muslims. It's really scary when you're seeing the similarities between what's going on in India and also what's going on here. I'm not saying that Modi and Trump are the same person, but I think when you see... Um, Anytime you see nationalism start pitting one group against the other, and when a leader seems to not condemn those who um, use that that comparison between the two groups to incite violence, whenever you see a, a leader who doesn't condemn that violence, I think you start to see an increase in violence, where it's almost like, okay, well, it's all right, because this is what the government believes, and this is what the government's doing. So... Hindu nationalism has taken a really firm grip of, of not only 
India's culture, but the government as well. And that's why there's, it's very believable that this move on Kashmir is not just an administrative thing for the good of Kashmiri people, but really it's just another part of Modi's um, party and their agenda to turn India into a more um, Hindu place, a more um, integrated, to make it more like the rest of India. And that's not something that's you know, coming out of nowhere. The party has said in the past that they would like to change Kashmir status, but it was always kind of regarded as this controversial move, but because the BJP won with so much support, they now have the support and the the leash to go and do what they'd like and to bring this Muslim-majority region under India's central government. So that because they want... People weren't overstating the importance of the Indian election. Because the BJP won with such a wide margin, it's kind of like they now have the lease to go do what they've been wanting to do but didn't have the political sway to do before. So Hindu nationalism has absolutely played a role in why Kashmir has been, um, why their autonomy has been revoked. It doesn't look very good if, you know, the rest, if the BJP's goal is to turn all of India into this, you know, Hindu state. And of course, you have a part of India, Kashmir, that's a Muslim majority that doesn't look very good. And one of the articles I was reading says that a lot of Indians are actually uncomfortable with the fact that there's a Muslim majority region that falls under India. And because of that, it seems like this has actually been a very popular move. And there is one other thing I wanted to point to. A lot of analysts say that the timing of this power grab in Kashmir is quite suspicious because um, Modi's government has actually had a lot more criticism in the last few weeks because there's apparently a weakening economy, more joblessness, and people are starting to feel a little unhappy. And it was, you know, start that unhappiness was kind of permeating the whole society, not just the economy or all sectors of the economy. And this is a great distraction. People are feeling critical of your party. What's the best way to get rid of that? You got to deliver on one of your longstanding promises. And this has proven to be very popular. So a lot of Indians are actually super happy about this. Some of them have always felt that Kashmir had too many privileges. Why do they get to be autonomous? They're Indians. They should behave like Indians. And also, a lot of them have felt very uncomfortable because, like I said, part of Kashmir is part of Pakistan. And a lot of young men sometimes in Kashmir's valley will chant pro-Pakistan slogans and they'll sometimes celebrate Pakistan's victory over India in cricket, which may not seem like a big deal, but is a huge deal. So people have always felt like Kashmir is a little different in character and we don't like that. We want it to be part of India in the way that we think India should be, which is this um, model Hindu country. So that's not to say that every Indian is okay with this, but the main thing is that many Indians are. So while you might anticipate that a lot of people would be outraged about this and that, you know, (laughs) the government marching in tens of thousands of troops into an area of the country would be cause for alarm, a lot of people feel like this is about time, a necessary move. So even progressive politicians who are opposed to Modi and his party and their um, nationalist agenda have actually backed him on this issue because it has proven to be kind of popular. And 
one other implication is now a lot of Hindus are going to be able to go to go to Kashmir and buy property because that article doesn't exist any longer, and they'll be able to push out a lot of Kashmir's um, local population. So there are severe implications for this domestically. There are also a few international implications. Surprise, surprise, Kashmir is considered one of the most valuable pieces of land. You know, you don't want to talk about a, a, a place, a region like that, but it, it is what it's considered. And there is the chance that there will be high tensions between India and Pakistan because of Kashmir. And both of them have nuclear weapons. So, of course, anytime you have a conflict involving nuclear powers, people start to freak out. They're like, this is it. This is the end. And it's like, whoa, guys, calm down. This is not 2012. There will be no apocalypse because the chances of that happening are still very low. But Pakistani leaders are not happy. They feel like they need to defend Kashmir because it is a Muslim-majority region and they do have a part of it. So um, Shabaz Sharif, president of Pakistan's Muslim League Nawaz political party, I don't know too much about the political parties, but this was um, in an article, said that Kashmir is the jugular vein of Pakistan. Anyone laying a hand on our jugular vein and honor will meet a frightful end. Um, that doesn't seem super welcoming or super positive. So there are absolutely increased tensions between India and Pakistan about this, just as there were in February um, when there was a conflict. So it's unlikely that they'll go to full war over this. I mean, the story is still developing. It's still very new, but that is something to keep your eye on. Pakistan also said that it was going to downgrade diplomatic relations and cut off bilateral trade with India. So there are already international consequences. And But it's interesting, they're, they're saying that they're going to refer um, Kashmir to the United Nations Security Council, which is interesting. It means that they're not necessarily taking action on their own, but they're referring it to an international body, which it, we, we remain to see whether the UNSC will do anything. And a lot of other countries. The United States are actually hoping to work with India to help check China's increasing power. So they're not really, you know, opposing India super openly. They're like, hey guys, like that wasn't super cute. But they're not condemning the action, nor are they saying whether it was legal or not. So there isn't a lot of hope that the, you know, US is going to come in and be like, hey, you can't do that. So there's international implications I don't know if you guys can hear those sirens but there's like a whole sorry I got distracted but what I was trying to say was there are international implications domestic implications and it's unlikely that the U.S. is going to come in and just be like hey guys don't do that you know you need to remove your troops there is not likely going to be an international interference interference to stop this um this reversal of article 370 but I also really quickly want to touch on what it's like for Kashmiri people right now. One thing that we talked about last time we talked about Kashmir is that it's really easy to get lost in the sight of this topic by talking about Kashmir as a piece of land, as a strategic piece. And we're forgetting that there are people in this region that have lived in fear and are living in increasing amounts of fear as you know their whole lives have changed because... You know, you plan and you live your life thinking you're going to live in this autonomous region and suddenly things are changing. So I really want to touch on what it's like in Kashmir right now. 
Problem is, it's been a little difficult to find out what it's like because Indian soldiers have brought in um, tens of thousands of other soldiers. And so the Indian government has brought in tens of thousands of Indian soldiers. They've also barricaded the roads, closed schools, um, cut off the internet, phone service, and landlines, which means that the Valley of Kashmir cannot even communicate with the other people in the valley and outside. Also, residents are being forced to stay inside their homes at gunpoint. When you hear things like this, does this sound like a democracy to you? India really talks big game about how it's the biggest democracy in the world, but this this is something you would expect to see in an authoritarian country. This is really frightening. It's not just India's move away from secularism, but it's also their their willingness to use this force to impose hindu nationalism it's not just a slow cultural shift it's it's something that's happening by force and by arm and by cutting people off if this was purely administrative what would the need for this be i don't know if if this was a story about superheroes and supervillains i don't think you would see the superheroes cutting off people's internet so that they couldn't talk to people usually when people cut off communication it's because they don't want the world to know what's going on they don't want people to be able to to tell the truth of what's going on and that to me is incredibly frightening especially considering that a lot of kashmiris don't want to be part of india they see india as foreign and oppressive and they they don't want to be part of it and it's very likely that they will rebel it's very likely that this will not be bloodless but the fact that the rest of the world can't even see what's going on is completely undemocratic and actually very frightening to witness more so than you know just cutting off communications a lot of politicians Kashmiri politicians have been taken into custody Um, Mehbooba Mufti, a former chief minister of Kashmir, she managed to get a small message out, but then she was arrested. And her daughter um, was able to submit a message to the New York Times, and she said, and I want to use her words directly, we feel there is an atmosphere, atmosphere of death looming over us. We don't know what to expect. We are not allowed to get out of our houses. Telecommunications are all down. For the first time in 30 years, they snapped landline connections as well. So there's no way even ordinary Kashmiris here can like communicate with each other and know what exactly is going on. Everybody is in an absolute state of shock and panic. This is terrifying to hear about. In a, a supposedly democratic country, leaders are being arrested with with what what justification? People aren't able to talk to each other. Everybody's scared. Nobody knows what's going on. This this to me is the biggest marker that kind of exposes Modi's justification for um, revoking Article 3670. This is not for the benefit of the Kashmiri people. In what way does this reduce the amount of instability? It seems like it's just increasing it. And also, it's likely to increase the amount of violence. If Modi really cared about that, if his government really cared about that, would they be doing this almost like an invasion of Kashmir? Would they be doing that if they really cared about reducing violence and reducing instability? Seriously, when was the last time this worked out without violence? Without rebellion? Not very often. Schools have been shut. um, Internet's been snatched away. Political leaders locked up. There's Kashmiri life as they know it has changed. And not for the better, like the government is suggesting. Another really frightening thing is that a lot of um, 
one of the big issues with partition was that there was a, a large degree of sexual assault and rape of um, women on both sides. But there have been videos about Hindus claiming that they can now get themselves Kashmiri girls. So a lot of Indian men seem to think that this is another opportunity um, since partition to do what you want with um, Kashmiri women, which really t- goes back to what I was saying. The problem with nationalism, as I see it in both, you know, India and across the world is in order to to promote Hindu nationalism, you have to put other cultures down and that in some way dehumanizes um, and reduces the importance of other and reduces other people's values, people of um, different cultures. It reduces their value and you reach a point where you think, well, because I'm X, I can do Y to anybody. And that is troubling. That is really going to be a, a huge problem of this new cultural shift. Um, and it is concerning that there is already talk about assaulting Kashmiri women in this way. Or at all. But, um, you know, as Hindus, we're going to get to do whatever we want. So this is another um, problem facing the people of Kashmir. And apparently some people have already died. Um, it's very unclear because there's a lack of information. But um, a lot of young men were squaring off with soldiers and, you know, throwing stuff, and apparently the soldiers opened fire. Some people have reportedly died, but there aren't any um, concrete statistics on that. So that's a very grim picture of what's going on. In terms of what's next, um, I've kind of talked about how unlikely it is that there's going to be international intervention, but a lot of critics of this move have hoped that the Indian Supreme Court will intervene. They have been a counterweight to um, Modi and Hindu nationalism, so a lot of people have been filing um, complaints and cases, and that is really right now the only um, foreseeable intervention in this situation. So this was a long episode. It was a little um, grim, and I let me know if you would like me to keep covering the story as it unfolds. I really hope you learned something today and if you want to discuss this further or if you would like a list of further reading, please do let me know. I will see you for our next episode. Um, All right.